Milo. I bet I got some witnesses out there that can say also that God is. You can fill in the blank on exactly what he is, the specifics of what he is in your life, but it's undeniable that God is. And, and if you can't fill in the blank with anything specific, how about just say he's my all and all. Everything I need him to be. Everywhere I need him to be. Everything I want him to be, God is exactly what anybody needs. If you've never tried him as your own, then maybe today is the day you start learning just a little bit more about who God is. And prayerfully something that's done during this worship service can clue you in a little bit on why we love him so. And it's not because we're so good or so grand. We wouldn't boast that way. It's because he loved us first. He loved us best. Today I want to come and try to talk to you. There's a couple of things that I'm trying to do. I think I've gone a little bit too long without speaking in some respects to the social context that we find ourselves in. I wanted to make sure that the Lord was giving me something that would be appropriate. I wanted to make sure that the Lord was giving me something that was scriptural and something that could speak to us both in a right now way, but also in a godly and spiritual way. So many things have happened since we've been in this posture. I've heard so many, so many jokes, so many memes about the year 2020. 2020 so far has been a struggle for us, y'all. Somebody said we need to go back and just unplug 2020 and just start all over again. There's been so many things going on, but I can tell you that wouldn't undo all the injustices that have gone on because you and I both know that some of the things that we've been struggling with are not just 2020 specific. In our community, we've been struggling with some things for a long time. And so I came to tell you today, if you will, I don't know how many times you've heard preachers stand up in the pulpit and say it, but I'm mad today. I'm mad. I'm mad about some of the stuff that's going on in our community. I'm mad. I'm mad because there are too many young black men getting killed in our community. I'm mad. I'm mad because too many children can't walk in the mall without getting killed. I'm mad about those things. I'm mad because there are just too, many, too little money being spent in our community in the areas that really need the money. I'm mad because not enough funds are being spent in schools that are already struggling. I'm mad because technology is available for everything, but not for our babies to learn and get to the next level. I don't know about you, but I'm mad. And when you get mad like this, you have to find a way to vent that frustration. You have to find a way to deal with the anger you have. So I started wondering, I wonder if Jesus ever got mad. Because Jesus is just like us. Jesus was human, 100%, just like us. I know he was also God's son, but he was human, 100% which means that he also had some circumstances that had to simply make him mad. He couldn't walk around all day and see the injustices that were going on and not be touched. In fact, the Bible specifically says that he was touched by our infirmities. He understood the things that were going on. And so when you find that you get mad, but you want to still live a righteous and a holy life, what do you do with that anger? Certainly, it's not the church's job to just turn the other way, as too many have done. 
It's certainly not anybody else's job to fix the problems that are going on in our community. Surely God put us here and blessed us with resources so that we could use those resources to make things better for other folks. Surely that's a part of our walk and our witness every day. So what do you do with this anger? I've seen some examples in the last few weeks that I don't agree with. There's some things that made me mad, but I couldn't go that far. And I can tell you right now, I don't want anybody to step to me and challenge me on my blackness. I've been black for 55 years. I've been in Alabama for 55 years. I understand what it is to be a black man, but I also understand there's a right way and there's a wrong way to do things. I understand that there's a reason why we've come this far. And we can't tear down the entire world trying to make it better. We've got to build up some things. We've got to teach some things. And so I came to tell you today that in my study, I'm trying to find out how Jesus might address these issues, and in fact, how he did, I came to tell you this morning that I found out that contrary to the biblical concepts that may have been implanted in your mind as you were growing, if you do just a little study below the surface, you'll find that Jesus was in fact a radical. Jesus was a protester. Jesus was the one who came down tearing down systems and, and precepts and principles that did not fit into the context of helping everybody. When Jesus spent 40 days and nights in the wilderness, he rejected the temptation that the world presented to him. The world power tried to give him something that would not stand. He boldly stood against Satan and Satan's temptations. Guess what? Because he was a protester. Jesus took his message to the masses speaking and advocating wherever he could go. He created a movement, and his movement was based on justice, his movement was based on hope, and his movement was based on love. Why? Because Jesus Christ was a protester. Jesus confronted the leaders of the day about their wrong practices, their evil thoughts, their destructive deeds. Why? Because Jesus Christ was a protester. Jesus asked people to follow him and join his cause. Why? Because he knew that every life mattered. Guess what? Jesus Christ was a man of color who was murdered by law enforcement and state-sanctioned violence for insurrection against the Roman Empire. Jesus was a protestor. You don't have to go very far in the Bible to understand how Jesus Christ was a protester. Jesus broke the religious expectations and laws of the day down to the point that people wanted to kill him and did kill him. Why is that? Because Jesus was a protester. He made public proclamations and tried to change the social sentiment through talks teachings and speeches. Why? Because Jesus, Jesus Christ was a protester. He was viciously challenged. He was mocked. He was scrutinized. He was threatened. He was slandered and ridiculed and besmirched. He was discredited by all the authorities and all the leaders, all because he was a protester. And so how do I put that into a modern context? The fact that Jesus, yes, throughout his life, challenged all authority to make things better for the little people, the people who could not attain, the people who could not reach beyond that they could see. Jesus worked hard to take care of them. Jesus stood in front of a mob by himself to protect a woman who had been caught in the very act 
of a bad situation. And he stood there and lost uh, to his potential loss to his own life. Why? Because Jesus was a protester. So don't listen to anybody coming and telling you that Jesus was this soft person. Simply because he came preaching and teaching peace did not mean he wasn't effective in reaching people and making change. Can I tell you this? There's a generation that made a wholesale change in our community using peaceful methods, using peaceful discussions. In fact, the leader of that movement at the time, we still call on his name, Martin Luther King Jr., didn't call for violence. In fact, what he said, he said, peace is not merely the absence of this tension but it's the presence of justice. He also said this, I need you to know this, that if peace meant silence in the face of justice, he said, then I don't want peace. I won't be quiet when people are not being treated right. He didn't think that riots were the best approach to take, but he did tell you that riots were in fact a language, a language of the unheard. If you're not hearing me any other way, then riots will get your attention and that's what's happening in America right now. We got everybody's attention. But now what? But now what is the cry we keep hearing? But now what? We've got everybody's attention. What do we do from this point forward? He warned against, King did, warned against condemning the riots unless society also condemns the conditions that brought the riots about. And so, in fact, King was right on point. It's as if his message was made for today. You know why? Because it was. But what would Jesus have to say about these circumstances? Where would Jesus go on this? And I looked and I found a scripture, a passage of scripture. It's found in three parts of the gospel, in three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I want to deal with the one that's recorded, the version of it that's recorded in, in Mark. And in fact, if you do your research, you'll find that this incident happened twice with Jesus and a fig tree. What? What, Reverend Smart, what, what does a fig tree have to do with protest? What does a fig tree have to do with unrest? What does a fig tree have to do with people not being blessed? Well, let me read it for you. Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. And I want to read this passage for you. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple court. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written that my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this, watch this now, verse 18, and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. 19 says, and when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out the city. Can I read it another way? Destiny says they had to get out of town because the folk were on them because they had stirred up a hornet's nest, because they were challenging the status quo. Now, why'd you go to Mark 11, Reverend Sparks? Really, Mark 11 in its entirety, or through verses 25 or so, tell a story that I don't know that we ever really teach in context, but it is, in fact, a, 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 a message of protest 
that Jesus Christ exhibited. The first part of that chapter takes us to a place that's so seemingly innocuous that we wouldn't even notice it. But this is a strange chapter in that it gives us an unusual part of scripture that, inha that has a parable and a miracle in the same passage. A parable and a miracle in the same passage. Jesus and his disciples, according to chapter 11 of Mark, are walking into the city. And as they're walking into the city, they notice that there is, in fact, a fig tree. And the fig tree is full of leaves. Jesus, who had been in a, an excited stand since the day before, because the day before, if you don't know this about the history, I'll tell you, was when he made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem when there had been much excitement about him coming. And the next day, he gets up, just like we do, hungry. And as he's walking in, he sees this fig tree. And Mark writes in verse 13 that he saw the tree afar off. And when he saw it, he saw that it was full of leaves. Watch this now. Now, to anybody experienced like me, my wife just fussed at me about being a city boy on the way to church this morning and about how much I do not know about things like gardening and outside things. And I received that because it's true. But to an inexperienced person like me, seeing a fig tree might not mean much. But to Jesus and other people with experience like Karen, if you see a fig tree and it's full of leaves, then it gives, you the, uh, it gives you the indication that there's a solution to the problem of hunger that you have. But when Jesus approached the tree, the fig tree tree, he discovered that there, were no, there was no fruit on it. So here it is, a tree in full blossom, full of leaves with no fruit. Upon finding no, no fruit on the tree, Jesus uttered a directive to the tree that no man should eat from the tree forever. Watch this now. So Jesus comes, he has a tree full of leaves, <coughs> and he finds no fruit on it. What does this have to do with the next part of the story that you read to us, Reverend Spark? I'm going to make it clean and clear why there's a protest that has to happen. The, the group continued walking. They continued their way into Jerusalem. The next morning when they were coming back, they found... They found that there was, not only was the tree still there, but it was dried up from the root. In other words, the same tree that Jesus found the day before with leaves on it but no fruit had somehow been cursed to never produce fruit again. But what happened in the middle? What happened when Jesus left the tree and went into the city? Therein lies the scripture we read. That's when Jesus went in and found the temple full of people, full of money changers, full of people who were not doing any good. In other words, he met a tree, and the tree was just like the church. It was full blossom, but there was no fruit being produced from inside of the temple when he went inside. And he walked inside, and he was disgusted by what he found. See, Jesus in his humanity walked to that tree because he expected to find some fruit on it. Just like people come in our churches every day and they come in expecting to find healing and help and hope in the, in the churches when they come in and instead 
they don't find the things that they're looking for. And so Jesus went on a full frontal assault on the church that morning. Now, why is the fig tree important? The fig tree is important because the fig tree itself is a symbol of Israel. That's why people often miss this in the story. They read these two stories separately, but really they were intended to be read together. The fig tree itself is a symbol of, of Israel. When it is in full blossom, you can expect that it's fruitful. When it's doing what it's supposed to be doing, you can expect that people can thrive under its shade, can eat from the fruit that comes there, can take pleasure under its shade when it's in full blossom. It's a unique tree, the fig tree is, and it's unique because it can yield fruit two or three times a year, so it's continuously in blossom. It's also the very first tree that was identified in the Bible. Oh yeah, if you go back and study it, it was from the fig tree that Adam and Eve pulled the leaves to sew the garments after they were discovered by God. The fig tree is not new to Israel. The fruit could be eaten dried or fresh. So why does Jesus get so upset when he comes into the temple that morning? Why is a protest started immediately? Why does Jesus go in and in some respect act a plum fool? That's why I want to preach to you today, today about the day that Jesus got mad. Because he got mad because he didn't find what should have been there, what should have been going on, what should have been a blessing, ended up being nothing. Jesus was mad because of what he found. So is it okay for us to get mad, out? Is it okay for Christians to get mad? Can we be mad at situations when we find them? The answer is absolutely yes. The Bible admonishes us that there are some things we ought to be mad about. There are some things we can't look at and see happening and not be upset about. But I want to give you this terminology to take with you because I believe that's what Jesus used that morning. Jesus had what's called righteous indignation. Righteous indignation. It's defined as a reactive emotion of anger over somebody's mistreatment and insult or malice towards someone. It's, it's, it's akin to what is called the sense of injustice. That's righteous indignation. In some Christian doctrines, righteous anger is considered the only form of anger that's not sinful. We know that Jesus Christ, in all of his humanity, did not sin. And so he taught us in this instance, because he went from the fig tree to the church and found that there was no fruit on either one of them. He went in there and found that there was something that he ought to get mad about. Why did he get mad? Well, he got mad because of what he found there. He found included there in the chapel some people who should not have been doing what they were supposed to be doing. He found money changes. That's what that scripture says. The Bible says he went in there and he turned over the table of the money table. Turn them over. Why would he do that in this? Why would he overturn the money table, money changers tables? Well, this is what happened. The money changers were there because when you travel into town, as people did, for the pilgrimage during the Passover, you brought money from your own place of living. But when you got that tea, you had to take your money and convert it 
to the money there in Jerusalem. And because they knew, the temple leaders knew you had to change your money, it's like if you and I traveled to Europe, we would have to take our dollars and turn it to whatever the common money is there. But what they do is take your money and charge you a fee on top of what you had in order to change your money to spend at the temple. This, of course, was taking people's money and misusing them. Not only that, in order to come into the temple at all, you had to pay a temple tax. Watch yourself now. Now you see why Jesus got mad. You had to pay a temple tax. A temple tax was the equivalent of one day's wage. So before you could even get in the house to pray, you got to pay a tax to go in there. Then you got to convert your money to their money. And as if that wasn't enough, when you got there, you also had to give a sacrifice. Now, if you traveled 100 miles to get there, it didn't make sense that you were going to bring a lamb 100 miles or your doves 100 miles. So they had plenty of options for you to purchase right there in the temple. You would come in and you would buy one of their animals to sacrifice. Not only that, you couldn't bring your animal because if you brought your animal 100 miles, it might get damaged or hurt on the way. And if it did, you couldn't offer that as a sacrifice because then it was blemished. And so knowing this, the temple leaders had created a business of selling sacrificial animals to people. So three things you had to find, you had to buy. You had to pay your temple tax, you had to buy your converted money, and then you had to buy an animal to sacrifice, all to come in and pray. Now imagine how this was affecting poor people who could not afford to do any one of those things. Just to come in and pay, you had to give almost all your wages to walk in there. Anybody with any decency would be upset because of this. And Jesus Christ came in and found the church was open, full of leaves, but there was no fruit coming out of it because the fruit was spoiled on the inside. They were stealing money from folk. They were charging convenience fees to come in and pay. People get mad in our community, and rightly so, because folk come in and they charge us for items that we need every day, but they don't charge us the right rates for them. They charge us an exorbitant rate. Why? Because they charge you a convenience rate, and that's what the church was doing. It's bad enough, Red, that they were charging in the first place. But guess what? If you didn't have that money, you couldn't get in and pray at all. Would that make you mad? It would make me mad. And guess what? It made Jesus Christ mad. So mad that he turned over their tables and refused to let anybody walk through there. He said, get out of my father's house because you've turned it into a den of thieves. Watch this now. He wasn't calling. He wasn't calling the leaders their thieves. He said, you've turned it into a den of thieves. In other words, you, being the ones in charge of this temple, have allowed those who mean no good for the people to come in and lodge in this place and take the little means they have just to offer prayer. In other words, you've made it a hospitable place 
for people to come in and take advantage of the downtrodden. Does this sound like something you know? That's why he got mad. My question is, what makes you mad? Jesus turned over the tables, and it was because of that he had to get out of town. But let me tell you another reason. Not only was he angry because of what he found there, he was upset because of where he found it. Yeah. I got a diagram for you to see this morning because I want you to understand that Jesus Christ had every right to be upset that day. We don't have a real good picture of what the temple looked like, the temple that Herod brought back to life. But when they did bring it back to life, when he did, he expanded the temple by about 32 acres in its built, in, in, in its rebuild. And part of that was so he could have enough space for the rulers to keep all these animals, to keep all of these uh, fowl that they would use in the system of sacrifice. But on top of the temple, where everyone came to pray, there were certain sections that people couldn't go to. In fact, there was a section that only devout Jews could go to. There was a section that only women could go to. And there was one section there that the Gentiles or non-Jewish people had to go to and couldn't go anywhere else. It was in the area where the Gentiles, they call it the Gentile court, the court of the Gentiles. This is where they had all the marketplace set up. In other words, the very folk who did not know about the Lord, who had come there seeking to find knowledge about the Lord, were prevented from praying because they had stacked the deck and made it a mall for making money and would not let them come in. This is why Jesus was upset. This is why he came in and turned over the tables. And this is why he said, you've turned my house, my father's house, which should be a house of prayer into a den of thieves. That's why he got upset. Righteous indignation. And watch this now. Verse 18 says it well. When he tore up the commerce, the commerce making operation that they had. If you don't think this was a small thing, they estimated that perhaps three million people a year came through in pilgrimage. Three million people a year paying a day's wages each coming in. They estimated that there were hundreds of millions of dollars being made by the priests. This was no small amount of money. They were rich and the people were poor. Don't you think just because they lived in that setting that people weren't taking advantage of them? Because they were. The rich kept getting and the poor kept getting poorer all in the name of the Lord. In other words, the temple sitting high on the hill was in full bloom. But when Jesus came to the tree, to the church, looking for fruit on it, there was no fruit to be found in the temple. And so he did exactly to the temple what he did to the tree. And that is, he made it such that no work could be done there unless they did what Jesus Christ knew they were supposed to be doing, and that is making a house of prayer. Just like he gave a directive to the tree, and people think it's a curse. How could Jesus, this righteous man who did no wrong, curse something? He didn't curse it. He did something worse, and you ought to tremble wherever you are, knowing that Jesus has the power to do this. What he said to the tree was, stay just like you are. Stay exactly where you are. I've given you water. 
I've given you sunshine. I've given you the right space. You got nutrients. You got minerals. I've been blessing you. You've been right here getting everything you need to be fruitful. Come on, somebody, because you're sitting in the house. You got a good job. You got a good family. You got everything you need to be fruitful, and yet you're not producing any fruit. Woe be unto you if the Lord comes to you and says, stay just like you are. Don't grow anymore. Don't get any better. Tomorrow's not going to come and bring you another come up because you're not producing the fruit that you're able to produce. You're not feeding anybody. You're not helping anybody. You're not teaching anybody. You're not training anybody. You're just taking up space. Stay just like you are. Verse 18 puts a capstone. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard what Jesus did and began looking for ways to kill him. Can I tell you something? Two things did Jesus Christ in. The fact that he was such a rabble rouser, but he was a rabble rouser with power, Alvin. He showed them that he had power over life and death because he raised Lazarus from the dead. And he also showed them that he wasn't scared of them because he came within the middle of their financial operation and turned it upside down. And when you start affecting the finances of the folk who are in power, that's when they sit down and listen to you. When you shut down the buses in Montgomery, Alabama, that's when the folks sit down and they start listening to you. When you mess with the merchant's money in downtown Birmingham, that's when they sit down and they start listening to you. When you affect the commerce, then you can find fruit on the tree again. That's what righteous protest is. That's how we get folks' attention. We show them that we have the power of the purse. And if we spend our monies right, and we spend our monies in the right place, and we make sure that those folk in our community grow, and those folk who don't respect our community don't get the benefit, then we can make change in our community. Jesus was upset. Jesus was angry. There's a time to get angry. He was also angry because God had been loving us all these many years. And we had been turning our back on him over and over and over again. We had been turning away from him, even though he kept on loving us. But guess what he did? He did the extraordinary. He showed us what his true anger could do. His righteous anger meant that if I can't find somebody else to do the job of salvation, guess what? Because they had tried so many of them. We have been trying for a long time to get people rescued. You know it. Follow me now. Moses rescued folks. God called him and Moses sacrificed his whole life being a leader. Throughout the ages, there were people who came in and stood instead trying to be leaders. And Jesus finally realized that if nobody else could do it, he'd have to do it himself. That's what happens when you're fully committed to change. You're willing to sacrifice everything in order to make things better for everyone. And Jesus Christ was willing, Reg, to give himself in order to make things better. We couldn't do it ourselves. We couldn't get angry enough. We couldn't do enough to please God. God required a perfect sacrifice. And Jesus Christ made sure that he was, in fact, that righteous sacrifice. And so for you and me, he tore up the power structure. But I got news for you. After he set it ablaze, he also sent his disciples up, out. 
and his disciples have been setting it ablaze ever since. My question to you, are, his, are you his disciple? Are you changing the things that you can change? Don't sit back with your hands folded saying that you're going to pray about it. We need to pray and do something about it. We need to pray and walk and witness and teach and use the resources that he's given us in order to change things. That's because Jesus Christ was a protester. Guess what his greatest act of protest was? His greatest act of protest was going to the cross. His greatest act of protest was staying on the cross. In other words, I could call on a legion of angels to come down here and save me. But because I love you so much, because I think you're worth it, because I know my cause is just, because I know there's no other way for it to happen, I'm going to stay on this cross until God is satisfied, until heaven is satisfied in your relationship with him. And all you need to do is believe on me. So if you want to be radical, follow Jesus. He's the one who gave his all in order for you to have all that you have. He died for you. And to show just how much God was pleased with the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made, he blessed him with the ultimate reward. And that reward was resurrecting him. He called him out of the grave put him on his throne and told him from thenceforward all power would rest and reside in him. That's the ultimate protester. He lives today. He's still guiding today. He's still making it possible today for me and you to protest. That's what happened on the day that Jesus got mad. He tore down structures, tore down systems, and he built up a new opportunity for me and you. So my question today is, are you following him? Have you given your life to him? He's the only protester who lived, died, and lives again. I challenge you to try him. And I also challenge you to try his ways. That's a righteous way to make change. And that righteousness continues to reverberate generation after generation. Peace doesn't have to be a bad word. Not when it's his peace. My question to you is, have you tried it? Right now, I want to ask you, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior, now is the time for you to do so. It's, it's not complicated. All you need to do is bow your head. All you need to do is say, I know that I've not lived right. In fact, I find myself being a sinner. Based on what I've heard about what sin is, living outside the will of God, living in my own way, not respecting what God told us and how we ought to live, I know I'm a sinner. And right now I'm going to protest against sinful living. And the way I'm going to protest against sinful living is by doing righteous living. And I'm going to do that by following the only righteous man who ever lived. And his name is Jesus. And I'm going to give my life to him. Not only am I going to give my life to him, <clears throat> I'm going to ask him to manage my life going forward. I'm going to ask him to bless me and guide me and keep me. Because when I get up from this place right now, I want to go out and make a difference. And the only way I can make a difference is by doing it in a righteous way. God bless you today. God keep you is my prayer. Thank God for Jesus Christ. Thank God for what he's done. Thank God for his witness and his example. It's in his holy name we pray and ask it all. Amen.